Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. Tonight on The Readout. Where is the whistleblower exception in the rules of Congress that says that does not apply? It's the prerogative of the committee to decide. No, we have the We have the rules of the House. We have the whistleblower testimony. The whistleblower does not wish that to be made available to the Democrats at this time. The whistleblower doesn't make committee rules, sir. Yeah, that happened. Jim Jordan's weaponization of government hearing goes off the rails. His so-called FBI whistleblowers are getting paid by a Trump supporter and recently had their security clearances revoked. That's just one example of how toxic the Republican brand has become as Speaker Kevin McCarthy allows the most extreme members of his caucus to run wild. Also tonight, the rapidly growing field of Republican presidential candidates and the misplaced perception that any of them can take the nomination away from Donald Trump. I'm Michael Steele in for Joy Reid and we begin tonight with the Republican Party the party of Abraham Lincoln, and Ronald Reagan, the party I chaired for two years. And in the face of so many losses, you would think that maybe, just maybe, the party would take a beat and reconsider the brand. Alas, the modern MAGA Republican Party looks failure in the face and says, please, sir, may I have some more? Let's start with Louisiana Congressman Larry Clay, Clay Higgins who claims there's no such thing as gun violence. Yesterday, Higgins grabbed an activist who was attempting to ask Congresswoman Lauren Boebert some questions. Higgins proceeded to shove the man back several yards, nearly lifting him off the ground. Higgins claimed the activist was a threat. Now, back in 2004, when Higgins was a patrol officer, the chief of police was prepared to take disciplinary action against him for unnecessary force on a subject. Then there's Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar, who has had an alleged white supremacist on staff for two years. According to Talking Points Memo, his digital director has pledged his loyalty to Nick Fuentes, a big old racist and neo-Nazi who spews slurs like their pronouns. Gosar is no stranger to far-right extremism, however. He has amplified social media posts from white supremacists and neo-Nazis and delivered a keynote address at a conference hosted by Fuentes. Take a look at some of the other elected members of the Republican Party. There's Congressman George Santos, who was arrested and indicted on 13 charges accused of duping donors, stealing from his campaign, and lying to Congress. Yesterday, after his party moved to block an expulsion vote, he defended himself. I think that this was the right decision for all of us, and I look forward to continuing to defend myself. Again, innocent until proven guilty. That is a right that we all have. Now, mind you, this is the guy who was busted for lying about his education, his employment history, his finances, and his philanthropic endeavors. As he was uttering those words, his fellow New Yorkers, Representatives Jamal Bowman and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, gave the guy the good old Bronx cheer and told him what pretty much every New Yorker is thinking, including his constituents. Got 
Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene started doing what she does best, which is heckle. In this case, targeting Congressman Bowman. This morning, Greene explained that she felt threatened by Bowman, using an age-old trope that Bowman, a black man who spent years as a middle school principal, was aggressive and threatening. What concerns me about Jamal Bowman is he has a history of aggression, um, not just towards others, but towards me in particular. And I'm very concerned about it. On the Capitol steps yesterday, he was the one that approached me. Even CNN reported that. Yelling, shouting, raising his voice. He has aggressive, uh, his physical mannerisms are aggressive. I feel threatened by him. Poor Marge. Mind you, this is the same woman who harassed a teenager for promoting gun laws and stalked Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez back when Green was just a QAnoner spewing nonsense about Jewish space lasers. Joining me now is Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania and Brendan Buck, MSNBC political analyst and former senior advisor to speakers John Boehner and Paul Ryan. Welcome to you both. So, Congresswoman, uh, how, how, what are we to make of the dynamics right now in the House? Uh, as you have the, this committee that's, you know, looking at and into uh, the weaponization of government, actually looking like it's trying to weaponize government uh, against uh, the people who are coming before it. What's your take there? What are you hearing? How are Democrats planning to respond ongoing to this? Well, it's a shame. And the, the string of folks that you just highlighted for their low light performances um, just reminds me of what I hope all America knows, that sadly, the Republican Party is a, a brand that has gone toxic. I hope the Republican Party can reclaim itself from some of the actors you just featured. Uh, as important as it is that we know that they are toxic, we also have to know how they celebrate indecency. Take a look at that string of facts and events. It's indecency after indecency. The very person claiming that she suffered aggression has done nothing but be an aggressor uh, in the most vile of ways as you said, got her career started by taunting Parkland survivors, uh, just a very indecent set of folks. Uh, and I hope that we can contrast that they are not interested in governing. They took the majority, remember what they were going to do. They were going to work on the economy and prices and inflation and jobs. They've done none of it. They're doing these crazy faux witch hunts. Uh, and to your point, you're right. Uh, I serve with Jim Jordan, sadly, on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, he's flailing, trying to weaponize his gavel uh, against uh, the, the Biden administration to lift up Mr. Trump. Uh, it, it's a very sad circus. And, and what I really I worry about, and I would love both your and, and Brendan's take, where do we go from here? Where does the Republican Party go from here? They have taken themselves down such a terrible set of rabbit holes. So, so Brendan, that's actually where I wanted to go with this question. Uh, and I'm glad the congresswoman set it up the way she did, because she's right in the sense that the brand is now toxic. 
you and I had to deal with that toxicity back uh, in the day as we were moving away from the 2006 and 2008 cycles where the American people basically blanked us uh, and said no and had to rebuild and, and, and try to get some wins that would give us a speaker, uh, Ryan and a speaker, Boehner. Um, how does how does this party recover when you have this type of toxicity being uh, perpetuated every day? Yeah, it's not so much that it's perpetuated; it's, it's it's elevated. And look, I think there's always been sort of kooky members of, of Congress, and we certainly have more than we ever have. But you know, John Boehner, my former boss, referred to his job as being the mayor of Crazy Town. There have always been members like that. The problem is. We elevate them so much right now. We incentivize bad behavior. Um, and look, Jamal Bowman knew what he was doing. He was baiting Marjorie Taylor Greene. She sits there every day and takes the bait the Democrats give her. Nobody can reel her in. And she ends up becoming the face of the party. I don't think she's actually reflective of the average House Republican. She's certainly not. She is an outlier. But there's no real opportunity to rein her in. There is no one actually in charge of the conference. Some of this is the fact that Kevin McCarthy has a very small majority and he has no real opportunity to discipline anybody or, or, or kick anybody out. Look at, look at George Santos. He needs every vote that he can get. It should have been very obvious when uh, Kevin McCarthy made Marjorie Taylor Greene a central part of his effort to get the speaker's gavel, that he understood mm-hmm. that he couldn't rock the vote at all. So he has no real leverage or opportunity to do anything about any of these people. And that's why they're allowed to go out and do these things every single day. And they are a stain on the brand of the Republican Party, but nobody's really in charge of the Republican Party anymore. And so we continue this cycle. Everyone gets rewarded. It works out well for Marjorie Taylor Greene. She gets the attention she wants. She raises all the money that she wants. And the rest of the party suffers the damage. And, and, they, and they pay the price along the way. And, and to the point that uh, Brendan raised, uh, Congresswoman, about uh, Representative Jamal Bowen sort of you know, sort of coaxing this and sort of, um, you know, pushing uh, the, the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, crazy a little bit. I want you to take a listen to his response uh, to her saying that she was threatened and afraid of him. Unfortunately, this country has a history of characterizing black men who are outspoken, who stand their ground and who push back as being threatening or intimidating. So she's not even using a dog whistle. She's using a bullhorn to put a target on my back to the people that she refers to as MAGA people out there. And, and that's really kind of we've seen this play itself out in so many ways before. And that's always sort of an underlying element when you have this type of scenario with a congresswoman like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene going after the big bruising black man who she's afraid of. Um, what how what's your take on, on his response? And how do you think people hear that in the context of what we what we see playing out between these two? Well, I agree completely with Representative Bowman. Uh, It's so clear. And that's what's so troubling. This kind of outward racism, bigotry, dog whistles, as he said, bullhorn, when you call a black man threatening. This is a former school principal. Uh, I've spent some time with Jamal. He's not threatening. He has the right to say, I don't accept what you guys are doing around your, uh, your colleague, Mr. Santos that you're holding on to him. Uh, So uh, he's calling it right. Historically, we know exactly what's going on here. Uh, And Marjorie Taylor Greene loves this. That's the uh, unsatisfying part. 
that any of this feeds her need for attention uh, and fundraising and indecency spewing. Uh, what I do think, I want to comment on what uh, Brendan said. Nobody's in charge over there. I have thought forever. I keep thinking, Mr. McCarthy, if you really want to lead, show the skills of leadership. Make hard calls. I know he's got five votes, and so he's holding on to Santos because the majority is so very slim. I believe he would have fortified himself, would have shown real leadership if at the outset he said, wait a second, we have to review this colleague of ours. Uh, and I would risk losing that vote in order to say we as a conference stand for decency, truthfulness, to the litany of things you described that he falsified. He falsified the death of his own mother. It said she died at 9-11. I mean, at what point does this litany of lies, lie after lie after lie, uh, an, an agreement to a criminal uh, indictment outside of the country, uh, when does a leader stand up and say, enough is enough, I'll take the risk, but I'm going to show you what real leadership is. We're going to really celebrate good people, and we're going to put out people who are incredibly unfit and unserious to serve. But Brendan, that's the problem. I, you, you've got you've got in one case these lies that that are being pushed out there by you know Santos and 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 McCarthy sitting there looking at his numbers, going, "Well, I can't lose that vote." <laughs> but then you've got Gosar <laughs> and you've got others who are embracing uh, something that's just as nasty in white nationalism and, and putting hiring them on the staff. How how does McCarthy manage this? Is is that one vote, one or two votes that close for him that to, to Congresswoman Dean's point, he just can't go there and say, all right, we just lose this one um, and we'll just work with the votes we got. I mean, what's the politics behind some of this? Well, I mean, I think there's actually there's politics, but there's also important precedent that I think he is thinking about. And I, hopefully the Congresswoman agree. I don't think you want to set the precedent that someone being indicted means they're automatically removed. House. That has not been the way that we have operated in the past. There have been plenty of House and Senate Democrats who have found themselves indicted and stuck around. Um, I think that's what Kevin McCarthy is thinking about, that, that you have to have some level of due process. I actually think Kevin McCarthy would be happy for George Santos to go away for all the reasons we just talked about, how, how bad of a reflection he is on the Republican Party. And that's why he has said the Ethics Committee, which often steps sort of aside when DOJ is looking into something, has said, please continue do your work. We need a resolution from you. We need some answer from the House Ethics Committee. And when you tell us that you think that he has violated some uh, House ethics rules, I think he will be gone. I think they will actually find a way to get rid of him. Um, but they need some level of, of process. And that's that's what he is thinking about. Because look, Kevin McCarthy got the speaker's gavel. I don't think any other vote is, is necessarily going to be as close or important as that one. They can probably spare George Santos. And as far as it goes for the staffer, Every staffer serves at the pleasure of the House Speaker. The House Speaker is certainly within his rights of getting rid of that guy. Um, and I think that I hope that they would uh, at least give a look at doing that. Congresswoman, we've got about and 30 seconds. I just want to say, could you wanna... respond on the process side? We've got about 30 seconds. Absolutely. Look, I'm a lawyer by training. Uh, I don't believe, based on indictment, that someone should be removed. But this is an admitted liar. Serious lie after serious lie after serious lie. And these aren't frauds and lies that are disconnected from his public service. These are the lies on which he duped citizens to vote for him. Uh, that's unprecedented in my mind. And that is something that 
you know, the duplication of sending it back to ethics. It's already in ethics. The Santos case is already in ethics. That was just a ruse uh, this week to have it uh, tabled, basically. Uh, I would love for Mr. McCarthy to show real leadership, not hide behind, oh, we can't just remove people because there's an indictment outstanding. That's not the case here. This is an unprecedented liar, an admitted liar, who defrauded the public to get to Congress. All right, Congresswoman Madeline Dean and Brendan Buck, thank you both very much. I really appreciate you opening up the conversation tonight. Up next on the readout, House Republicans' vaunted weaponization committee serves up another nothing burger, despite them literally making up the rules as they go along. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Today, we witnessed the latest salvo by House Republicans in their ongoing effort to do the bidding of Donald Trump. Jim Jordan led the charge in the latest spectacle of the political theater known as the Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. Today's hearing featured self-proclaimed FBI whistleblowers who purportedly could back up Republican claims that the FBI is rife with bias against conservatives. Now, mind you, two of the FBI agents who testified, Marcus Allen and former agent Stephen Friend, had their security clearances revoked this month over security concerns, according to a letter sent from the FBI to the Judiciary Committee and obtained by NBC News. The letter says Allen was found to have expressed sympathy for persons or organizations that advocate, threaten, or use force or violence, prompted, uh, promoted conspiracy theories about the January 6th violence, including that federal law enforcement had a role in instigating the riot and had misled a colleague about a January 6th suspect. In Stephen Friend's case, the letter says he refused to participate in the arrest of a January 6th suspect, downloaded documents from FBI computer systems to an unauthorized removable flash drive, released sensitive FBI information on his personal social media accounts without authorization, and participated in multiple unapproved media interviews, including an interview with, wait for it, Russian government news agencies. As you would expect, the hearing also included the downplaying of the events of January 6th, as heard from here, as heard here from Republican Congressman Dan Bishop. Another of you has been concerned about whether, about the investigation of people by the preeminent law enforcement agency in the country for nothing more than being on a bus to travel to a place where there was a speech by the president and so forth. Yeah, yeah, and, and so forth. But it was Democratic Congressman Linda Schott Sanchez who perfectly called the hearing what it was. 
So make no mistake, this hearing is a vehicle to legitimize the events of January 6th and the people who perpetrated it. And why? Because Donald Trump is running for president again. And if you normalize the events of January 6th, if you repeat his election fraud lies, then maybe he doesn't seem quite so extreme. Maybe it will be easier to overturn a free and fair election the next time. Joining me now is former Democratic Senator Doug Jones. He is now a distinguished senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. And my buddy Frank Fagluzzi, former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence. Welcome to you both. So, Frank, I, I need I need to tap into that smart brain of yours on on the technicalities regarding whistleblowers. If you could give us just a quick refresher uh, primer about what the whistleblower law is and what constitutes a whistleblower. And I didn't want to follow up is do any of these guys fit that bill? Yeah, well, let's start with the quick answer on the last part. No, none of them have official whistleblower status because none of them chose to go through the approved paths plural, that you can become designated as a whistleblower. A whistleblower is supposed to be reporting waste, fraud, or abuse, or retaliation for having become a whistleblower. You do it through, in the FBI, you do it through FBI first and or go across the street to DOJ, and you've got the Office of Inspector General, you've got the Office of Professional Responsibility. It's all laid out there. In fact, it's posted in employee break rooms and on the FBI internet. You can't pretend you don't know how to report waste, fraud, and abuse. The only fraud I saw going on today was what Jim Jordan was trying to do, which was to promulgate a fraud on all of us by claiming that these poor, innocent FBI employees have been retaliated retaliated against simply for expressing conservative views. Imagine that, conservative views within the FBI. So, so you know, suddenly I, I, missed, I, I missed the memo, Michael, where the FBI became a left-wing uh, bastion of liberals. I, yeah. I missed that. But yeah. The, the, FBI, the FBI came with receipts because last night they delivered to Jim Jordan and the subcommittee the actual facts about why these employees had their clearances revoked. And the facts are damning. You recited some of them, but refusing to participate in, in the arrest of a January 6th defendant. One, one guy actually lied to a colleague about finding no information that a January 6th defendant had committed crimes or assaulted police officers. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. Another guy went in after hours and withdrew, as you noted, withdrew sensitive information from FBI files and lied about it, then secretly recorded his supervisors in violation of Florida law. We can go on and on and on. But when you look at it, you go, sounds like valid security clearance revocation to me. It does. And and so to that point, uh, uh, Doug, I want to follow up with you and have you take a listen uh, to uh, exchange between Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz um, in questioning uh, the witnesses regarding their whistleblower status to to Frank's point. Mr. Chairman, these individuals have been determined not not to be whistleblowers. These are not whistleblowers. They've been determined by the agency not to be whistleblowers. Are you deciding that they're whistleblowers? Yes, the law decides. Did you not listen to Mr. Levitt's testimony? Do you not read the law? The his law decides that they are whistleblowers. His attorney the is chair recognizes that they are the gentle lady from the New law York. Has not the gentle lady from New York has been recognized. So, the, so the, the the circus side of that, notwithstanding, Doug. How does this committee expect to be taken seriously when the agency itself 
is looking at these individuals and saying they're not checking all the boxes that Frank laid out. They're not checking the boxes as actual whistleblowers. But the committee chairman here, Jim Jordan, says the law says it is. We know the law better than the FBI. You know, Michael, I, th- I think that Jim Jordan doesn't really give a give a wit about whether or not they're whistleblowers or not. He is going to try to protect them. But what he's doing is exactly what Representative uh, Linda Sanchez said, and that is trying to put on a show to somehow bolster Donald Trump and his presidential campaign to try to minimize whatever happened on um, January 6th and to try to show that the FBI was uh, somehow biased. And, and I agree with Frank. Uh, I think everybody didn't get the memo that the, all of a sudden the FBI, who got criticized just not too long ago, quite frankly, for not adequately investigating white supremacy and right wing white supremacy, is now some left wing uh, arm of whatever uh, left wing organization. So there, it's damaging. And what's really sad about this is what it's doing to the FBI. That is the real problem here. There are thousands of agents out there that are both Republican and Democrat that have conservative views and progressive views, but they do their damn jobs. They are there every day working these cases the way they're supposed to be, following the rule of law and following orders. And remember, the, the, the FBI it, it has to be disciplined. They mm-hmm. have to have an almost military-like discipline within their ranks because of the sensitive nature of everything that they do that could put this country uh, in jeopardy if they really had rogue agents. Frank, that's, for me, the, the takeaway at the end of the day. If you have these two individuals who, as you describe their behavior and as has been reported by the FBI and uh, made public in the press. What does that do inside that institution? You, you're an FBI man. You, you, you know that culture. You know the people. Um, what are they thinking right now when they hear the chairman of the Judiciary Committee sitting in this particular seat, you know, weaponization of government, literally weaponizing the government against the FBI? It does affect morale. I, I have spoken with uh, with folks this week about these hearings, and they're just tired of it. And you can even see with the FBI's response. Look, this is the, the letter they sent to to Jordan. The FBI uh, is an unprecedented letter in terms of the amount of data it contains about really human resource matters and personnel matters. But they've been adjudicated, and where they've been adjudicated, the FBI is saying, "Look, we're taking the gloves off. You're going to make these fake allegations. We're we're fighting back." We're going to tell you the facts about this. So it does affect the rank and file. It's now affecting decision making on on fighting back, taking the gloves off. But, you know, the irony here is kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. The the hard right MAGA folks are saying we never we think the FBI is politicized. We think they're biased. So here come these employees who have been disciplined for inserting their political opinion into their work. And now they're heroes for the for the MAGA right. So you can't you can't win. And clearly they don't care. We've seen that movie before, Frank, in a number (laughs) of other cases where individuals who they would once vilify are suddenly heroes. Uh, And I want to get a little bit of since I got the former congressman, I want to get a little processy here because I think it's also instructive to listen to an exchange between Stacey uh, Plastic and Jim Jordan about the actual sharing of, of, of transcripts and the transcribed testimony of the witnesses. Could we take a quick listen at that? Will you give us a copy of that testimony that was transcribed of your discussions with him? That'll be up to Mr. Allen. 
Um, but you are in possession of them, aren't you? Sure are. So why would you not give them to us? Mr. Allen's a whistleblower and he didn't want that to happen. We'll he talk didn't to want, him. but he's ha- ha- comfortable here in open discussion with us today. Sure is. You can ask him questions if you want. You, you don't share the, your information with the minority? Nope. The whistle. No, so that, you're not sharing that, information the, that you've obtained whistleblower, with the, the whistleblower was The whistleblower saw what you did with uh, Mr. Friend and others, the, the false information you gave the press so much no. so that they had to issue corrections. The whistleblower no. doesn't we've decide seen, that. The committee decides it. And, and we've decided. So I want to correct myself. I, I, I referred to you as a congressman. I had Congressman Dean from the last conversation. I still on my head, Senator. I just want to get it right because I don't <laughs> want to get in trouble because you know how folks here in Washington are. Uh, but Senator, <laughs> seriously, though, the, the process here of watching this play out on this committee, what does it say about what they're trying to do? OK, this is sort of affording them all legitimacy in the first instance. Um, and, and how people, when they hear that, walk away thinking about this process. Yeah, no, it, it, it clearly signifies that they have an agenda and they don't want anything to interfere with that agenda, even the facts, even be a, an element of fairness. I mean, what you just heard from Jim Jordan is the one of the most absurd things a committee chairman has probably ever said. And there's been a lot of crazy things said by committee chairman over the years. Uh, and, but but th- it clearly is indicating they have an agenda. They they are letting they know how this is going to end because they want it to end a certain way. They're already writing a report and now they've got to do whatever they can to make sure that they have the information that they can put in a report that is completely um, in their favor. There's not something that is going to be balanced. It's not something that is going to be fair. Unlike the January 6th committee who invited people to uh, be involved, who invited folks to take part in the committee and they refused. Now they've come full circle and refusing to let the Democrats even really be involved. And the fairness of this is just stunning. And I cannot believe that the American people will let them get away with it. All right. Thank you very much. Former Senator Doug Jones and Frank Fogluzzi. Thank you both. Still ahead. It looks like the Republican presidential field is about to get a bit crowded with candidates operating under the misconception that Trump is actually going to let them get away with it, that he's vulnerable. Well, we'll talk about that when we come back. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. As we have long speculated, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will enter the 2024 presidential race. 
NBC News has confirmed exclusively that an official announcement is expected next week. Here's the governor on Wednesday signing bills targeting drag shows, transgender kids and the use of bathrooms and pronouns. A clear message of what his presidential priorities would look like. Now, he isn't the only fresh face entering what will become a crowded Republican field. Senator Tim Scott plans to make a, quote, major announcement in South Carolina next Monday, weeks after he launched an exploratory committee for presidential bid. While Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is signaling a run with an ad uh, that he released today invoking Ronald Reagan in his call for a new era of American values. Youngkin also seemed to suggest he is the next Reagan, which, of course, is the point. Joining me now are MSNBC political analyst Cornell Belcher and Matthew Dow. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. So, Matthew, let's start with you on the Glunkin. On the Glunkin. The Glunkin. On the Glunkin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was Freudian or just po- poetic. That's perfect. <laughs> on, on the Glunkin. On Glenn Youngkin's ad linking him to Reagan, um, it, it just to me seems a little bit much, or, or, or am I missing something? No, and you know, Michael, we've had this conversation. I think Cornell's been part of it. Cornell's been part of it. If if Ronald Reagan ran today in the Republican primary, he couldn't get 10 percent of the vote in the Republican primary today. Exactly. And in fact, he would be attacked by all the other Republicans, including Donald Trump, for not for not being supportive of all the crazy stuff that that they are for in this. To me, it's a sign. And we saw some of this in some of the Republicans who ran against Donald Trump in 2016. It's a sign that Either he doesn't fully understand who the Republican Party voters are today, or he somehow thinks that there's space in the race for that kind of Republican. He's going to discover to his detriment (laughs) that that Republican Party that he thinks still exists is gone. Yeah, I, and I, I think he should probably ought to recognize that, and given the fact how he he sort of got into his race using CRT as as a weapon uh, against the black community in, in Virginia, and 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 certainly stoking uh, white fears about their six year old learning something sophisticated as critical race theory. But I want to I want to take it to Florida next uh, for you, uh, Cornell, because the headlines in Florida right now have got to be somewhat problematic for the governor as he's looking to step out there. Headlines, Disney pulls plug on billion-dollar development in Florida. Uh, Disney ends plans to relocate thousands of employees to new Florida campus. Tampa Pride event canceled after DeSantis uh, signs anti-drug, anti-drag bill. How does he weather that? I mean, how do you how do you say to the country, look how well I'm governing when your major corporate uh, player and and employer is saying, you know what, we're just going to cut back. Well, I well, first, let me I wanted to say something about Glunkin. Oh, Glunkin, help yourself. You know, know it's like a turducken. You know, (laughs) I just I just occurred to me. But anyway, you know what the Glunkin's problem is? I love the ad. It's I'm a not a Republican ad. primary voter. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to vote in Republican primary. It, but it is a it is a throwback to to a, to a, to a time that I think is gone in Republican Republican Party. But DeSantis, how does he how does he weather this for Republican primary? He's actually you see what he's doing to weather it. He's doubling down on going after the most marginal uh, communities. Doubling down on going after 
LGBTQ community is doubling down on on going after sort of issues of, of, of diversity and, 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 and critical race theory. He's doubling down on all the things that, quite frankly, are very Trumpian right now. Mm-hmm. So, for, so a lot of those, for his Republican primary voters, a lot of that stuff that we think are actually big and important issues, there'll be important issues in a general election when you have to say, okay, I can actually govern and bring people together and not lose big business. But for a Republican primary, his number one uh, competitor is Donald Trump. Right. And so he's got to double down on all that divisiveness in order to compete. So I don't think he's going to be hurt by it. I really don't, Michael. That's interesting. Matthew, I want to get your take on those headlines as well. But also, the the other side of this is Tim Scott, uh, also coming out uh, this week in, in uh, into the presidential race. How does that play now, um, which ought to be interesting given how much, you know, sort of the stoking of uh, white nationalism the party seems to like doing, having a black man as a potential nominee ought to make for an interesting moment. Matt? Yeah, the whole thing, to, to me, if I were Donald if I were Donald Trump sitting in Mar-a-Lago, if I were Donald Trump sitting in Mar-a-Lago, I'd say the more the merrier. Keep coming. Everybody come into this race. That'd be great by me. Just keep on coming into the race because Donald Trump walks in with a solid 40 to 45% of the vote. It doesn't matter. He's going to get 40 to 45. So that division of the other 60 or 55, if it's divided by six people, then it doesn't matter anymore. And on on Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis seems to be his main argument seems to be I'm a winner. Donald Trump's a loser, though. He hasn't said the word Trump loser. At some point, he has to. Is that what happened this week in all of the headlines? He lost the Jacksonville mayor's race right right there in uh, I think we I think we had a little connection problem with our, our buddy Matt. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, and, and what we'll do when we come back with Cornell and Matthew, uh, we're going to get into the troubling disconnect between what Republican leadership says it wants and what the MAGA base actually wants, including a nationwide ban on abortion. We'll get into that right back in 60 seconds. No matter which way you slice it, it has been a bad week for the Republican Party. On Tuesday, they faced major upsets in Florida, Colorado, and Pennsylvania, something that has become a pretty consistent pattern over the past year, basically ever since Roe versus Wade was overturned. And while the normal wing of the party may see that as a pretty glaring issue, the MAGA base doesn't really seem to care doubling down on their wildly unpopular extremist positions, despite the fact that it's costing them big time. That's because the MAGA base isn't focused on the here and now. They're playing the long game, taking control of the once mundane races like school boards, local government and election positions, and also taking over the political infrastructure inside each of the states from the ground up. Cornell Belcher and Matthew Dowd are back with me. So, so gentlemen, let's. I, I want to start with Donald Trump uh, bragging about overturning Roe versus Wade. Just take a quick listen. Well, I'm the one that got rid of Roe v. Wade, and everybody said that was an impossible thing to do. I put on three Supreme Court justices. Very few people have been, had that privilege or honor. And uh, they are terrific people, and they happen to believe uh, that Roe v. Wade should not be there. So, Matt, <laughs> yeah, 
So, Matt, we know we know Trump wants to take credit for everything, right? Um, but for the party, that's a problem when the the leading candidate is like, "Yeah, I did it." Uh, and when you have other candidates trying to downplay or trying to soft pedal a national ban, talking point on, oh, yeah, giving the power back to the states. How do they navigate that space on this issue, given how voters feel? 70 percent are like, we don't like what we're seeing in this space right now. Well, I don't think they can navigate the issue specifically. I don't think they can navigate it on its own. I think they're going to try to avoid as much as possible talking about it and not conversing on it. I think that's what they're going to do. And I think the Democrats ought to understand. So I think the Republicans are going to try to avoid it as much as they can. I think Democrats would be really smart. And Cornell and I have had this conversation would be to raise this up to a much bigger issue than just abortion, to raise it up and to be a pro-freedom plank, a pro-American democracy plank. And because that is where Democrats had the most success. I don't think Democrats specifically want to get so far down in the weeds on this. I think they want to make this a part of a much broader argument about freedom in America. Pick I, up that point and I, no, walk I us through that thinking. No, I think I think that's I think that's absolutely right. There's sort of this this ideal about about freedoms are are, are under attack. And, and by the way, that clip of Donald Trump talking about how he delivered you know overturn mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Michael, and say <laughs> that's going to be in a commercial. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be in a commercial. I'm going to go out just, just a little one. That's going to be that's going to be a commercial. But it's absolutely right. Is that this is this greater sort of ideal about freedoms um, being under attack. And it's everything from reproductive rights to what you see in these states with rolling back, you know, rights to the ballot and freedom and, and sort of access and access and access to the, to the ballot. So this this freedom framework. And by the way, which which the you know, and I think I'm going to give Dowd and I some credit for the for, for the for the campaign picking up on this because we've been preaching this for a while. And clearly some of their research picked up on it as well, because when they when they did launch I was I was heartened to see that they launched this campaign under a thematic talking about right. uh, talking about freedom and, and and taking on authoritarianism and and threats to our democracy. So so Matthew, that I mean I, I like the way that both of you are thinking. The question for me is, can Democrats actually pull it off? Because if I, you've heard me say this, <laughs> Democrats. I'm sorry, bro. Y'all don't do politics that well, but. But the idea of using the freedom narrative that Republicans have arguably owned, right? They've branded themselves with that. But now they're showing their anti-freedom tendencies. That argument seemingly from Democrats could take hold, right? Oh, it absolutely. And you could all add another one. Guns can be put in the middle of it. Because guns can be made to see, I want freedom to send my kids to a safe school. I want freedom to walk around and be able to live my life without worry of gun violence. Freedom is directly connected to guns and the ability to live securely in our society. Your question is a valid question. I mean, Cornell and I talked about this probably 12 times in the run up to 2022. And at some point, some of the candidates did decide to adopt it. Michigan is a perfect example. All three women ran on this exact platform together and did overwhelmingly well in the state. And so I think what if the president does, if President Biden's campaign does it, 
It, that's actually the most important because he can lead other Democrats to do it. But the problem with Democrats is they have the tendency to get distracted by the shiniest piece of foil that happens down the street and not stay on the road to discipline. <laughs> discipline, it, to me, is the most important function of a campaign. Democrats don't always have discipline. No, they don't. Herding cats. Herding cats. Herding, Herding cats. cats. <laughs> but those cats are, Cornell, being herded around. And we've got about 30 seconds left. Herded, herded around the issue, as Matt noted. Uh, guns, abortion, the sense of freedom. But also you look at transgender issues, what's happening in educational front with school boards and books. Yep. Um, so narratively, there is something that can be put together and built out uh, against this sort of we own the freedom uh, conversation on the right. It, it, it was a terrible mistake for the Republicans because you're right. You all own this for, for the last two or three decades. Now we can make inroads into, into the suburbs and these cultural wars. These young voters are completely rejecting these cultural wars and, and, and they're becoming the base of our party. Face of your party. All right. Well, we'll see whether they can do basic politics. Cornell Belcher and Matthew Dowd. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be right back. Tomorrow, Joy is back with her interview with author and teacher Chaston Buttigieg, husband of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Chaston's got a new book for young adults. He told Joy he's hoping to reach young readers, especially in areas where they might feel silenced and where books are being banned. I want young people to, to read this book and to know that they are perfectly fine just the way they are. There's nothing wrong with them. And there are millions of people out here backing them up. Um, and it really does get better. And it will continue to get better if we all commit ourselves to that work. More from that interview tomorrow. And that's tonight's readout. MSNBC is going to be live here all night. Today's news requires more facts. Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the region. More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective. This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.